Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai studio, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. This is Chicago's number one and most listened to sports station. 670 The Score is Chicago Sports. Chicago Sports is The Score. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. And Odyssey Station. The Score! On the two spot, are you happy with his approach in the two spot? Yeah, he's been good. I've talked to him a little bit. There's some days when we we need a little more, try to stretch the lineup out when maybe some other guys maybe scuff on a little bit. And I've moved him back and forth a couple times, just trying to get back to that, that long lineup and making sure he's comfortable. But we'll continue to set up what's best. Cubs manager David Ross talking about Seiya Suzuki, who, yeah, he's been slumping a little bit. He into some bad luck tonight in the Cubs third. It hit hard to first base, a line drive with a couple men on and ended up doubling off Rivas at first base. But he he, he got a good shot, good shot for sure in the third inning against Michael Kopech, the Sox starter. The White Sox ended up beating the Cubs by a final score of 3-1 to one in Game one, round one of Cubs White Sox right here on 670. The scores. We welcome you back into Score Overnight. I'm Mark Grody. Hope your overnight is going great. 312 644 6767. We've been doing the Cubs White Sox series check ins on both of your teams. The White Sox at 10 and 13, the Cubs at 9 and 14. The White Sox definitely not where you thought they would be at this point. I don't think I. I did not think the Sox would have an eight-game losing streak all year, quite frankly, and they have had that. The Cubs probably about where I thought they would be for this season. So nothing surprising with the Cubs, but I will say that I am impressed with the Cubs' ability to follow through on something systematic, and that is to make contact. Their contact is not always great. It's not always 
the kind of contact that you want, but they have changed their they said they were going to change their approach. They have changed their approach. Execution is occurring. Wins are just not occurring, and not many baseballs are going over the wall, and the clutch hitting isn't there yet either. But it's it's about where I thought the Cubs would be. The White Sox have been a little bit surprising, but they they have won two in a row now, and um, they are you know starting to play just a tiny bit. Better and Kopech has been very good this year. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. We got a Grabber box score coming up in just a little bit. Lots of Bears talk to come still, and some Bulls talk as well. And your calls, anything you guys want to jump in on. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. Like Shane in Downers Grove. What's up, Shane? You're on the score. How you doing, man? I honestly think you like summed things up pretty well. Um, the Cubs being where they are is like weird. Like, yeah, like I kind of like feel I'm a gigantic Cubs fan, by the way. Um, yeah, the the Sox are way underperforming. The Cubs are like overperforming for the first week, I guess. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it gave me too much hope right. into which, like, I I guess like I understand like how, but it's so weird because you look at each lineup and you look at these pitching staffs. I'm like, but. There's so many guys in the Cubs that are hitting like 290 plus, and there's not winning games. Like there's just no there's no runs being scored ever. So I just like don't understand that. And like the White Sox, I truly feel like the White Sox are still going to win 102 games. <laughs> and like I hate the White Sox more than anybody, but it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre <laughs> how these things go. But yeah. yeah. I, I'm with you, Shane. On the side, I don't know if they're going to win 100 games. I would actually say no, I don't yeah. think they're going to win 100 games. They honestly, yeah. But, but, but I think I know what you're saying. I mean, the Sox are going to be very good. And like I said, I did not suspect they would have an eight-game losing streak. But I also think that they're capable of pulling off a 10-game winning streak at some point in time. So I, I am positive because of the Sox that – it wasn't this stumbly for the Sox last year out of the gates, but they did not have a solid start, and people were worried about the White Sox. And it, it, I think a lot of Sox fans at this time last year were worried that their fears had been justified with the signing on of Tony La Russa as manager. And Tony La Russa made all sorts of different mistakes early in the season, and it got everybody concerned. But then they took off. And they they were very good until they uh, choked against Houston in the postseason. So, so that's that's really what it's all about for the White Sox. Get getting themselves back to five hundred, and they're only three games under five hundred. Getting back, you know, they're in third pl- third place or fourth place, third place, I think. And getting themselves back in the top of the division, and then getting themselves playoff ready, and then winning a damn playoff series. That's really what it's going to be about for the White Sox. But, yes, we, what we do here is take it one game at a time, and every game is its own adventure, and the adventure goes to the White Sox tonight as they beat the Cubs by a final 3-1. to one. Jack is in Rockford. Jack, thanks for waiting. You're on the score. Hello. I want to talk a little bowls with you tonight. Let's do it, Jack. Um, the take I want to give you is, uh, you know, the game has changed to the three-point shot. Um, and the reason it's changed to the three-point shot is a player that came from the Chicago Bulls. Um, 
one of the, my favorite Bulls players of all time, Steve Kerr, mm. who I think still holds the record for the highest percentage of three-point shots made. So he didn't take as anywhere close to the amount of three-point shots they take today, but right. he made a lot of them. Yep. And what people have to understand about three-point shooting is the game changed because the coaches said, go ahead and take that shot. Um, you know, when I was coming up, they didn't want you to take a three-point shot. Even if you're a good shooter, somebody like Steve Kerr only had so many that the coaching staff would allow him to take in a game. Um, and then he goes on to Golden State, and he lets, you know, someone like Kerr go wild, get hot, shoot, 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 shoot from half court if you feel it, you know. Um, and when we think about the Chicago Bulls is that's one of the things is where are the sharpshooters, you know, Lonzo ball, he changed the way he shot the ball to improve his three point shot. He's pretty good. Um, DeMar DeRozan, he did as much as I could possibly ask him to do because he way improved his three-point shot, right? Yeah, he wasn't very good at hitting threes, especially in the playoffs and down the stretch. He's not not a good three-point shooter. uh, He he isn't, but he improved it, in my opinion, from where he was. Okay, okay. Um, so, so, So that's when I'm comparing him. I mean, he's a great, you know, long two-point guy, but I felt he made an improvement this year, and he had huge, like, game-winning three-point shots. Well, that's that, for sure. <laughs> and, no and, doubt about that. Back-to-back. Were, they, were those threes in those back-to-back games? I think they um, were threes. I felt like he yeah. improved from where he was, and I don't okay. really want DeMar to take the three. I mean, right. I'd rather have him taking those twos. And the player I was disappointed with was – um, Alex Caruso, because I feel he has a good stroke on the ball. He looks good shooting the ball, but I saw him brick a lot of threes, you know, and I'm just like, because they leave him open, you know. And yeah, he's a defensive player. He did all these other good things, but it's like I'm hoping the coaching can improve the three-point shooting. Booch, he he didn't do that great shooting the three this year, and he has a great stroke, you know. Yeah, I would say like Caruso at the beginning of the year was hitting those open shots. Like he he seemed to be really in the flow of the offense and hitting the open threes. And then you're right, it, well, he wasn't as potent offensively when he came back from the wrist injury um, last year. Um, now we talked about DeRozan; he just simply not a good three point shooter. Lonzo Ball was shooting the three better than anybody on the Bulls until he was injured. So, and we know how inconsistent Kobe White is and nobody was more frustrated than the the open the wide array of open three-pointers that Vucevic missed throughout this season. So, you're I mean, if your point is is that the Bulls need to to make more threes, your point is well taken and they they need to it's in general, Jack, the the Bulls need to hit open shots, period, because we saw what teams did, the good teams did, to the Bulls down the stretch and in the playoffs, like especially when, you know, Zach Levine was out, what they did to DeMar DeRozan, and DeRozan was trying like hell. Well, he was finding the open guy, and nobody was making shots. 
Yes, and uh, Zach Levine, a monster three-point shooter when he gets hot. Oh, he's great. The um, step-back three, yeah. like, nobody does it better. So, so you know, the take, too, is, is like, it's not necessarily that I believe that they need a player or, hey, they need to make a move to do this or that. It's like, I don't know. It's like a coaching thing or something. It's like, I feel like the talent is there, right? I mean, yeah. it'd be nice to have some bigger guys, but, you know, it's like when these guys perform well, I mean, they had me excited. I mean, they had me thinking like, oh, my God, these guys are going to win the championship. I mean, I, 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 mean, I got carried away. I mean, when Rosen – was winning those those games with threes and stuff. I was like, "Oh my god, this is just sick the talent they have." <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there was definitely some some glorious points to the season. I characterized the Bulls year as a good season with just a god awful horrible finish. That's what it was. Uh, you know, their their record since the All-Star break. What happened in those games against Milwaukee, say for the game that they won, it was embarrassing. It really was. And I know that Milwaukee is the defending champ, but the way they lost those games and the way they had been in those games. They could have won they could have won the first game even though they shot like crap in that game too. But yeah, did good season with a a horrible finish. And Jack, thank you very much for the call. Uh three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. It's gonna be really interesting to see. I mean, I, I think that it it feels like although you can't rule out Arturis Karnashovas having something up his sleeve, it seemed like he made his big moves in, you know, going back to last year with the Vucevic acquisition. Then in the offseason with, obviously, DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. So I think he expects to have this core back, and hopefully with Zach Levine. Arturis gave it every single indication that he wants Zach Levine to be back here. Now that's going to be on Zach Levine more than anybody, it feels like, at this point. But the hope is that and you get Lonzo Ball back healthy, that this team can do more damage than it did last year and not kind of crumble towards the end as it did. 312-644-6767. Right now, the lines are wide open. This is a good time. If you felt like calling, this would be it. If you just feel like listening, that's totally cool, too. 312-644-6767. I'm Mark Grody. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Well, I don't think I can give enough credit to the two teams. Uh, I know I was watching our team once, and there wasn't one guy that was backing off from competing. It was really amazing to see. And it was hard out there for hitters, defenders, pitchers. I mean, I just can't give the two teams enough credit for just the way they competed. It was – I feel somebody is in the top – in the coaching room is that your top five, top ten, you know, tough. Because it was unrelenting, man. It never stopped, you know. It was, uh, so – it was a good win for us, but I just like I said, both teams deserve like a lot of respect for the Cubs, the way they went after it, like we did too. Well said by White Sox manager Tony Larusa, as the Sox did beat the Cubs three to one, but it was about as awful looking of a game last night, weather-wise. Just dark and dreary, and just this shade of gray and the mist and. 
the wind blowing the mist, it just never stopped. I compared it to the movie Seven earlier, which was just, it was dark and raining throughout the whole time. I can confirm there was not a head in a box at the end of the Cubs-White Sox game, but there may as well have been because it's kind of like you just sort of, when it's like that, like just expect anything and don't really get mad at anything that happens in the game because baseball is not meant to be played in that kind of weather, and they did. And so whatever happened, happened, and a lot of things happened in that game that in which the Sox won. The The meat of it is that Tim Anderson homered against Keegan Thompson, Jake Berger, Reese McGuire, both had RBIs. McGuire's on a bunt towards the right side of the diamond. Well, well done by McGuire. Jake Berger, kind of a swinging bunt that dribbled the third, and Patrick Wisdom just ate it, nothing he could do. And um, in the the Cubs sixth, Nico Horner with an RBI double. So that was all the scoring that happened. Kopech, Michael, Kopech, Michael, four innings, did not allow a run, four hits, five strikeouts, two walks, 83 pitches. And uh, he may have gone longer if it wasn't for that darn Alfonso Rivas and a 14-pitch at bat against Kopech in the third inning, um, which ended poetically, I suppose, for Kopech because, as it turned out, Seiya Suzuki lined out hard to first and doubled off Rivas. So after all that work that he did, and just it was a terrific at-bat for him, the Sox maintained their 3 nothing lead and ultimately go on to beat the Cubs by a final of 3-1. to one. But that just looked awful out there. And for the fans who were there, God bless you. For the players, I understand if you hated it. And he wanted to get the hell on the bus and back to the hotel or back home, I suppose, since everybody's home. Uh, but the Sox, Sox got the best of the Cubs in round one. Cubs and Sox again tonight at 640 with Kyle Hendricks against Lucas Giolito. 312-644-6767. Back to the phones. Tom in Hoffman Estates. Hi, Tom. You're on the score. How are you? Good, Tom. What's going on, man? I tell you what, uh, I'd like to follow up uh, with the Bulls season this year. I mean, uh, considering where they were the year before with the fourth pick, they were up there leading the way in the East. All the injuries started to mount up, and they were nagging injuries. They caught about four or five players. And uh, they have a lot to build on. You know, so this year has been a very successful year for the Bulls as far as I'm concerned. What's your feeling on it? Well, I think, Tom, it was a good year with a horrible ending. You know, it uh, and, and it was it really started to take a slide since the All-Star break. And there was so much optimism for this team. This is a team that was in first place and then slipped to the sixth seed by the time it was all said and done. So on the overall like I said, good season with a horrible finish. I was a little disappointed with the way the Bulls played since the All-Star break. And, and look, I know that that like there, there was some realness to the Bulls' injuries. There, there's no doubt about it. Alonzo Ball meant a lot to this team. Alex Caruso, we know what he means to the team. We know that Zach Levine was not playing 100%. But there were too many fundamental breakdowns that the Bulls had defensively and communication-wise, and missing open shots that, that you should make and, I, and that, that had nothing to do with Alex Caruso being out and Lonzo Ball being out. An open shot is an open shot. So there was some disappointment. 
all of that said, Tom, I do feel good going into to next year with this core um, and, and hopefully with some augmentation. I don't think you're going to ma- be able to make a splash this offseason, but you do have to tighten. You do have to get some, you know, a couple of guys who can hit those open shots and hopefully you get a healthy Lonzo ball back. Hopefully Zach uh, Levine comes back healthier than he was this year. And I feel good. So that that's a lot right there, Tom, that I just gave you. But that that's sort of my emotions on well, the, the I think beginning. Levine's got to come back. Levine's got to come back. I mean, I think he's earned a way to come back. Uh, we just have to add something besides him. And I think uh, you're 100 percent right. Those injuries they just mount it, and uh, getting a healthy rotation will help. Uh, but I still think we have DeRozan there, and that should bring some good, uh, you know, free agents if they're willing to come. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Not a not a lot of room for the Bulls right now, Tom. But um, I, I think you're right. I think that this has become a play. Like Arturis Karnashova said something during his postseason press conference that I thought was interesting. That you know, we've always kind of known it that free agents were sort of hesitant to come here for whatever reason, whether it's the Jordan legacy, whether it's the weather, whether it's been, you know, a loser organization for the last four or five years. But Artura said, I was pleasantly surprised. He used the word surprised with players' desires to come here, and that that includes Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan and Alex Caruso. I know Caruso wanted to ultimately wanted to be with the Lakers and maybe DeRozan too, but – but these, but he, it's out there. It's in the, it's in the, the sphere of the NBA. That while Chicago is probably still not the first destination, it's becoming a destination again. You know. Oh, definitely, and uh, I mean, uh, you realize we have to get some interior size to compete to go any further. As you could see, what's left now that's in the East. You know, I mean, we're real close. We're real close, Mark. But, uh, you know, you take away uh, the turnovers. Uh, You know, DeSumo got a lot of experience this year, which is really going to help. And I really feel that there's something to build on. I don't know. I mean, I feel a lot more confident this year than, you know, last year going in, not knowing anything. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it, Tom. And, And thanks for the call, man. It, it there really is there should be optimism and you can expect somebody I didn't even mention Io Desuma you could expect him to get better even Kobe White and a lot of people have given up on Kobe White but Kobe can still get better as well if he's still on this team <laughs> uh, so yes of course there you should be optimistic about this team it just had a horrible ending and slowly but surely I'll get over it. The other part, too, that is, and, and you mentioned the need for big men because, really, let's face it, you know, Tristan Thompson wasn't the answer, and he wasn't expected to be the answer. He was not expected. You know, he didn't come in to be a starter. He wasn't the final piece, but he was brought in because they needed somebody who could defend the Eastern Conference best big men to help Vucevic, who is not horrible on defense, but we know that he can struggle against some of those big men. I mean, and and that's part of the problem. Like the Bulls are good, man, and they're gonna be they're gonna be a winning team again next year. But none of these other teams are going away either, man. Philly's not going away. We know Milwaukee's not going away. Boston, man, arrow up. Miami, arrow up. So even like 
even Toronto. Toronto finished this season forty-eight and thirty-four ahead of the Bulls. So, and is you know who knows what the hell Brooklyn's going to do? I got a feeling we're not going to worry about Brooklyn next year. But you know, Atlanta—they were they were above five hundred, forty-three and thirty-nine. Cleveland made strides. It's a bitch of a conference. So. And, and, you know, as we sit here right now, I'm pretty sure that Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Boston, and Miami are better than the Bulls. So it's it's rugged, man. It is rugged. So, you know, that, the idea of bringing in another big man, I mean, they're, they're going to have the same problems against Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo next year as they did this year. Wayne is in West Lafayette. Hello, Wayne. You're on the score. Wayne. Wayne, are you there? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, there, Mark Rohde. What's going on? What's going on, Brick? Oh, uh, okay. All right. We're going to get we're gonna get Wayne here. But uh, it's been, I, I did not expect as much uh, quality Bulls talk on this show tonight as, as we have gotten. <laughs> Wayne, would you hang up on me, man? What's going on, no, Wayne? I would never hang up on you, Mark Rohde. That, that's the last thing on earth I'd ever do. Man, oh man, I, I want to bring a bright ray of sunshine to your life, buddy. Anytime oh. it could be raining out, but there's sunshine when me and you were talking, big boy. Oh, uh, always. You are a blessed man, Wayne. What's cooking, buddy? Man, you're tall in the saddle, Mark Gertie. Every every time I talk to you, man, you're you're so busy at that score. But thanks for coming on at nighttime for us, old buddy. When you do, you know, I, I just am want to thank you for it. I'm I'm 24 seven on 670. The score. That's me. Like a piece of taffy, buddy. You're getting pulled every direction, buddy. But you're there, and you're still and I'm, and, and I'm delicious. Yes, thank you. <laughs> anyway, hey man, I'm, oh Clayton Richards got the uh, Lafayette Jeff High School boys baseball team going good down here. He's their head coach down here now. Oh, nice. And uh, he's he's doing he's doing a good job with them. He's he's got them motivated. He, he's he lost some of his talent last year. They graduated on him, so he's having to put put him back together. But he's doing a good job with him, and uh, just just glad to see him doing some things. And uh, it's really neat to see. But Mr. Uh, Indiana yeah. himself, right, Clayton Richard? He, one of the one of them. Yeah, he's one of them. That's right for sure. Uh huh. Did you did you ever know Todd Dunwoody? Or no other Todd. Todd Dunwoody. No, who's Todd Dunwoody? I know Mike Dunleavy, but he played, but he I played, for, the, he played for the he played for the Cubs a little bit, but he was he? He mostly on the Mar he was on the Marlins team when they when they mm. won the World Series and then they dumped all their players and he he was like pushed into service. He was an outfielder and he's he's my cousin. Really? So I didn't know if yeah, I didn't know if you ever knew Todd Dunwoody or not, but no, yeah. I, I, got, I, I don't. I got I got a VH, VHS a movie of him cranking a home run for the Cubs against the Cardinals in uh, oh, Bush Stadium. Nice. But it's, that's that's been that's been in the early '90s somewhere in there. So anyway, it's been a long time ago. But anyways, but so Mark, I want to see what you, you know. It's always Bears weather, and always, always. And Bears are 24 hours a day. Sure. What do you what do you think of our two two number two picks and um um what what uh what do you think of our draft altogether? I want to find out from you, buddy. Yeah, no problem, Wayne. Appreciate you, man. Um, I think that the the Kyler Gordon, the cornerback they got, could could be really good. That he uh, he should have a real chance to start next to to Jalen Johnson. I'll be surprised if he's not starting. So I, I think he's got it. 
I'm looking past the fact that he's not quote unquote fast, even though we're we're saying that a four five forty is not fast. That that boggles my mind. Um, from what I've seen, he he's very good, and I think he's going to have a chance to start. Um, I think safety uh, Jaquan Brisker, their second round pick, the kid out of Penn State, number forty eight overall. He also will have a chance to start. What what I really like about Brisker, the number one thing. From being at Hallis Hall and talking to him and talking to Ryan Poles and talking to a scout as they let they let the scouts loose at Hallis Hall, he's a strong safety. That that that's what he does. He is a there is no gray area. That's what he does. There is not this thing like there was with Ha Ha Clinton Dix when he was here. Like, oh, he plays the same position as Eddie Jackson, and but and he's he like, man, what a nightmare combo that was. As it turned out, like neither wanted to tackle <laughs> Clinton Dix and and Eddie Jackson. Um, and then you know the same kind of thing at time. Like Deshaun Gibson was was a decent compliment to Eddie Jackson. Like those two played pretty well together, but it never got better than than Adrian Amos. And the reason for that is because Adrian Amos, like Jaquan Brisker, is a strong safety and was very happy to do have that assignment. There was no conflict whatsoever. So that's what I really like about Brisker out of Penn State. So, yeah, I dig those two guys. The rest of the draft is very mysterious, man. I mean, you know, Valus Jones Jr., the wide receiver out of Tennessee, who knows? Who knows with him? And that's what it's like with so many of these other guys. Like with all the offensive linemen that they got, the only one that I got a feeling from the guys that I talked to out there that has a chance to maybe compete to start is Braxton Jones. And he's the the kid out of Southern Utah, fifth-round pick. The rest, man, I mean, Zach Thomas out of San Diego State, old Doug Kramer from Illinois, Jatiree Carter out of Southern it's it's kind of a crapshoot, and it's very hard to evaluate offensive linemen going from the college level to the pro level. So, and I, and I've and I said this earlier, and I'll say it again. I hate the idea that people are saying, you know, it's you know they got lottery picks, and you know, hopefully one of these guys is good, and that's what Ryan Poles is doing. So if he's just doing this, just throwing darts, and he's going quantity over quality, maybe one of these guys, like that's no way to run your team. That's not what Ryan Poles is doing. Ryan Poles better have a deeper idea of what some of these guys might be capable of, and not just, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna draft four offensive linemen. We're just gonna keep drafting these guys. Gonna get a couple of centers, a couple of tackles you know that could also play guard and then we'll see if one of these guys sticks that's not the way it works <laughs> if ryan poles is thinking that way that's the wrong way to think so we will see there's there's a lot of gray area in this draft and i, I hesitate to call it a bad draft because i don't know i don't know i i can't sit here and tell you if like Doug Kramer's 48 starts Illinois will translate somehow and he'll be a good depth piece and he'll be, you know, the guy behind Lucas Patrick at center or they could turn him into a guard. I don't know. Um, and thank God, uh, you know, I mean, Ryan Poles is the guy that has to know this and Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze, and we'll get a look at him this weekend at the rookie minicamp. But to sit here and say, that I know one of those offensive linemen is going to hit. I think that's crazy, and anybody else saying it is just completely guessing at this point as well. Um, you know, 
I think there's some interesting guys in this draft. I think Dominic Robinson is really interesting being converted from, you know, wide receiver to edge rusher. That he's a super athlete. So I, I kinda like guys like that who have like he's probably the best athlete in the Bears draft. And if if they could turn him into a quality edge rusher, you got something there. So I kinda I like picks like that. I like Elijah Hicks out of Cal, the safety, probably because he loves the fact that he's a bear, but he's an interesting story too because he was converted from cornerback to safety and he seems to dig playing safety. So that's the that's the snapshot right there. You probably just got more than you bargained for, Wayne, but thank you very much for the call. 312-644-6767. We got to take a break here at Score Overnight. I'm Mark Grody on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Dumbass, sabermetric crap. I bet I understand it as much as you. I know plenty about technology. Believe me. It's time for a Grubber box score. Because Les Grobstein was always there. And I, I am positive he was at this game that I'm about to Grubber box store breakdown here on Score Overnight. I'm Mark Carodi. And believe me when I do this, I swear to God, it's random. All I did was put in Cubs-White Sox 2003 game, and this is this is what has uh, spit out to me on baseball reference. Friday, June 20th, 2003. Start time, 2.20 Chicago time. Attendance, 39,080. Venue, Wrigley Field. Game duration, Three hours and 13 minutes. Final score, White Sox 12 and the Cubs 3. Here were the participants involved. Tony Graffanino leading off for the White Sox had an 0-for-5 day with a, a walk to go along with that. Jose Valentin was 1-for-4 and... Had a run, a couple of walks, and he struck out a couple of times. Frank Thomas, playing first base, was one for three with three runs. He also had two walks. Paul Konerko must have come in late because he it says he played first base, so he must have been a defensive replacement for Big Frank and got one at bat in which he did not get on base. Maglio Ordonez. Was two for three with three runs, an RBI, and a walk. Rick White, man, I did, I'm just barely remember. Like, like his name is just sort of beeping in my brain, but the beeps are far in between the intervals. Like, do I remember Rick White? And all zeros next. He was a pitcher, and just zeros next. So he had to. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I don't remember Rick White. Carlos Lee, he was two for five with a run and a couple of RBIs. He also struck out Carlos Lee. Joe Creedy, he was one for four, had a couple of runs on the day. Aaron Rowan, a three-hit day that day for Aaron Rowan, who on that day played both center field and right field and probably ran into both walls. Miguel Olivo homered. He had four RBIs in the game. Did he hit a grand slam? I'll look into that. Oh yeah, he did. I'm looking at the home run category. Miguel Olivo 
off of Sean Estes in the first inning. Three on. He hit a two-out grand slam. Oh, man. Miguel Olivo. Um, John Garland, 0 for 1. D'Angelo Jimenez, 0 for 1. See, that's what makes this segment worthwhile. Names like D'Angelo Jimenez. David Sanders. Oof. Willie Harris. Willie Harris, Cubs third base coach, was 0 for 1 for the Chicago White Sox on that day. I told you Olivo at the Grand Slam. I'm checking it. Frank Thomas, Ordonez, Rowan all had doubles. One of those off Todd Wellmeyer. Oh, man. All right, the Cubs lineup on this day. You had Mark Gredzelanek going one for two with a walk. This next name, oh, Bobby Hill. The promise at second base was one for two with a strikeout. Alex Gonzalez. That's why the Cubs lost that game in 2003 against. I don't care what anybody's Bartman had. Alex Gonzalez let the ball go through his legs. One for three with a run, an RBI, and a strikeout. Jose Hernandez, 0 for 2. Corey Patterson. I loved Corey Patterson. I did. He, you know, he, 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 had, he had some flashes. Did not turn out to have a career in which he lived up to expectations, but I always loved Corey Patterson. Um, 0 for 3. Mike Remlinger was a pitcher. Uh, Joe Borowski was a pitcher who got an at-bat. Mark Pryor, pinch hit in this game. I don't remember that. Sammy Sosa, 0 for 4. Moises Alou was 1 for 3. Kyle Farnsworth got an at-bat. Lenny Harris was 0 for 2. Eric Karros, of course, was on that team. 0 for 3. Mark Guthrie was a pitcher. Uh, man, everybody got in. Tom Goodwin, Ramon Martinez, Damian Miller, the catcher. You remember Damian Miller? Yeah, you do. 1 for 2. Paul Bacco got into the game. Todd Wellmeyer. Troy O'Leary, the left fielder. That's a Joe Buck name. Troy O'Leary. Um, the pitchers on this day for the White Sox. Johnny Garland, who after this game was 5-6. and six. John Garland went six innings, allowed two runs and eight hits. He struck out four and uh, gave up a couple of runs, like I said. David Sanders pitched, and that guy, the mystery man, old Rick White. <laughs> who are you, Rick White? Oh, for the Cubs, Sean Estes lasted just one inning. Then the other pitchers were Todd Wellmeyer, Kyle Farnsworth, Mark Guthrie, Mike Remlinger, the lefty, and Sweaty Joe Borowski was the last pitcher to pitch for the White Sox or for the Cubs on that day. So there is your Grobber box score, a 12-3 win for the White Sox in June of 2003. Man, I, I never knew how Joe Borowski did it. What that guy throw at ninety something like that, and he just go out there and sweat and get guys out. So the joke was on all of us when Joe Borowski went out there because you know for a while you know closers have a shelf life. He had his too, so yeah. Uh, from the eight one five, the the reaction now coming in from the Grabber box score. Prior probably pinch bunt maybe but he was actually Pryor was a pretty good hitter he and Kerry Wood were both good actually Pryor was a very good hitter if I remember correctly 
Um, good question. What about Danks? Don't know. Um, from the 206, as Les used to say, Edwin Starr had the right idea about sabermetrics. War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. I bet Grover said that a lot. <laughs> uh, all right, 815. Mark, I hated this draft, and this quote made me mad. Quote, let's ignore the really good player over there and take someone over here just because we need him. I don't remember that quote. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't hate the draft because I, I I think you got a couple of starters probably at the top, even though you didn't have a first-round pick. I just think that there's, again, it, there's built-in mystery always with offensive linemen beyond the, the fourth round. And in this case, it's from the fifth round on. I think those are mysterious for anybody, even the best scouts are are not going to be able to just tell you slam dunk. Yo, yeah, this guy's going to be in the NFL for 7 to 10 years and either start or be a swing tackle or be a depth piece. I mean, nobody's able to say that. Um so it, that's tough right there. And then they just have guys that like like even the running back, Treston Ebner, the Bears have two good running backs right now, David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. How does that fit? Other than the fact that Ebner is a guy who can also, you know, catch passes and play special teams. So, you know, that that's what you have to look towards for him or, you know, special teams for a lot of these guys. Um, but there's just not a lot that you could just say, oh, yeah, I cannot wait to see Jatiri Carter get on the field. I can't wait to see Elijah Hicks intercept passes, the safety out of Cal. It's there is there's so much mystery involved except for the top two guys in Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker. And, yeah, there, there's going to be mystery in every draft. But this there's more mystery in this draft, I think, for the Bears than there has been in past years. Like last year was a lot easier to 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 take in and dissect, I thought, um, with with Justin Fields, obviously, and Tevin Jenkins. A good example, though, of, of an offensive lineman drafted in the fifth round who has succeeded and might be successful, still don't know for sure, is Larry Borum from last year. Um, Khalil Herbert was a sixth-round pick and played. Daz Newsome ended up playing, but I don't know if he's going to see the field this year. Same deal for Thomas Graham, who was a sixth-round pick last year, and I haven't heard anything about Kyrus Tonga come out of the mouths of anybody with the bears this year. So yeah, like that, that, there was a little bit more definition in last year's draft. And that doesn't mean that like, like this year's draft could be really good. Who knows? But to, to sit here and put a grade on it, it's just harder to do than in previous years, 2020, the bears drafted Cole Komet in the second round. They also drafted Jalen Johnson in the second round. You kind of know what you're doing with guys like that. Fifth round, again, starts to get tricky. Travis Gibson, is he a player? He certainly took big strides last year. Kendall Vildor, sort of the arrow pointing down after last year. Darnell Mooney, arrow up. Arlington Hambright, are you still there? Lachavia Simmons, uh, we'll see. A couple seventh rounders um, at offensive line. So, yeah, it's just it, there's just a little bit more mystery involved in this year's draft than there has been in in past years um there was a 
There was somebody hated. Oh yeah, here it is. Here it is. I compared or I mentioned Dave Wanstead in the same breath as Matt Nagy earlier. In that, I said, "Hey, maybe Matt Nagy comes back some because Matt Nagy was a nice guy, got along well with the media, speaks well, all that kind of stuff, projects." He could maybe he comes back in twenty years and he's part of the the media like Dave Wanstead was because they were there. There was a similarity between the two in that they both had fast starts and then ultimately did not do well as as the Bears coach uh, from seven seven three. No comparison at all, Mark. There is a big difference between Wanstead and Nagy. Dave may not have been a good head coach but he came as a good defensive coordinator and mind and remained after the Bears stint a good defensive coach as he failed only as a head coach. Nagy came in as an offensive mind and failed as a head coach because he was a lousy offensive mind and coach, and he wasn't good at his supposed expertise, not just as a as a head coach. Well, you're you're right about most of the stuff you said, but my point was is that Dave Wanstead with the Bears was not a particularly good head coach. And I, you know I love Wani, but Wani in six years with the Bears, and he was you know here longer than than Matt Nagy was. He was forty one and fifty seven. He had back to back four and twelve seasons. He was one and eleven against the Packers, famously, and he did do something that. Not a lot of Bears teams have done, though, and that is win a playoff game. Not just get to the playoffs, win a playoff game. In 1994, when the Dave Wanstead Bears went into Minnesota and, surprise, surprise, won that game. And I think that's like one of the, the great Bears upsets in playoff history. Um, really, really excited. I just remember that game very well. So, and then Matt Nagy and the overall actually was 34 and 31. Now, he didn't have as much time as Wani. Wani got six years. Matt Nagy got four and was 34 and 31 and had a blast of a season in his rookie year only to lose in the first round of the playoffs against the Philadelphia Eagles. So, I think it, you know, and and I well, I don't know if Wani, when he was here, I don't know if he was likable I think there was a simp. There he was kind of a sympathetic figure because he always just looked so distraught um, on the sidelines, and you knew there was an earnestness about Dave Watson. And yes, he was he was good in his area of expertise. You are right about that. Like Dave Wanstead was a good defensive mind, no doubt. He knew exactly what he was doing when it came to that. He just just could not put an offense together and did not really believe in the quarterback position, I think, as much as he should have. But you're right, Matt Nagy kind of fooled everybody because he came in and did not live up to in any way, shape, or form the offensive prowess that we thought he was going to have. So that's why I made the comparison. And, uh, you know, we could talk more about that later if you'd like. 312-644-6767. This is a good time to get in. Phone lines are wide open. 312-644-6767. We could talk about the Cubs-Sox game. The White Sox beat the Cubs 3-1. to We will get back into that. We will have more Bears. I've got the what I thought were the four most entertaining cuts from the Bears weekend at Hallis Hall during the draft that I, that I will bring to you in the 4 o'clock hour. Um, and the Bulls talk has been hot. 
throughout the overnight as well. 312-644-6767. I'm Mark Grody. This is Score Overnight on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.